All right. Thank you, Christian. It's so good to be back with you guys. Uh, last time I was literally right here, right here was not right here. Uh, it was just a big field. And now when Cindy and I drove up this morning and saw this, we're just like, oh my gosh, blown away. We've been following you for, uh, for several years and over the past few years, just watching how God is blessing this church, growing this church, expanding your influence in the community and around the world. And we, we are so proud of you guys. We really are. And uh, we love Christian and Danielle, have loved walking with them over the past several years. And I want to say thank you. As one who has invested in them, Cindy and I want to say thank you to you for allowing them to, to, to get away and refresh and do this uh, sabbatical after a few years. Yeah, it, you know, a pastor going on sabbatical like this is like my wife going to the grocery store. I love when she goes to the grocery store because, you know, sometimes the fridge gets a little empty. And so she'll go to the grocery store and she'll load up. She goes to Sam's and Walmart and Costco. And then she comes back home and I know I'm going to be eating good for a while. And so when a pastor goes on sabbatical, uh, that's what you get. So you you guys are going to be eating good spiritually over the next uh, several uh, months and years. So uh, it is good to be back with you. And that because I love seeing the uncommon work that God is doing here, it really is an uncommon thing. I work with, uh, past 10 years, I've worked with literally hundreds of church planters, training, equipping, assessing them, and uh, Christian and Danielle are at the top uh, for us, and uh, we, we love them, and seeing how they are uncommon leaders, they really are, and seeing the uncommon work God's doing here. And you know, there there are times that uncommon things catch our attention, don't they? Cindy and I were in North Atlanta, what was about three years ago, I think it was, and uh, we stopped by this place to get dinner, and we'd never been there before. It's called Avalon, and it's one of these places where you live, work, eat, and play. So we pulled in, we got some dinner, and we walk around the corner, and there is the common area. In the common area, we walk, we walk around there. People are laughing and smiling and hugging, and, and there's music playing, and there was so much life and vibrancy and energy, and they were playing cornhole. If you know what cornhole is there, they have a little cornhole tournament going on. And, and so it's like, you know, we didn't know about all this stuff because we lived an hour away from there. And it's like we were on the outside looking in and going, I want to play. I, I want to be a part of this community. I want to be a part of the fun and the energy and vibrancy. And, and so uh, I reached in my back pocket and I pulled up my phone. And uh, back then I, I used to use Periscope a lot. Periscope is a live streaming app. And so you just click on it. You can live stream to the world anywhere at any time, any place. And so... I pulled out my phone and I periscoped what I was seeing. And I was like, hey, everybody, look at this. Isn't this amazing? This is great. How fun. And then all of a sudden, spontaneously, I went, this is church. This is church. And, and, and I know it wasn't really church, but there were, there were signs. There were, there were components of what church is supposed to be. And, and it made me think, you know, there are times, you know, <laughs> What what I want to see when I'm working with church planters, I want to see them build a church where people who are on the outside are looking in going, I, I want that. I want that. But, the, but, but not all churches are healthy and not all churches have that. Not all community has that. And so and today I want to talk to you about, you know, a, a healthy church, what, what church looks like, what church is. Because I believe when we live it the way God intended, people are going to go, 
I, I want that. I want to be a part of that. Because here's the truth. We all long for community, don't we? Deep inside, you and I have this longing for authentic, real community. We're looking for a group of people. We're looking for a place where we can belong, where we're accepted, where we're loved, a place where you can be enjoyed. You ever think about that? Do you want to be enjoyed? I want want to be enjoyed. I want people to enjoy me, (laughs) and I want to enjoy people. And so we're all looking for that type of community. But then we're also looking for, for a type of community where we can be honest with each other where we're not judging each other, where we're not, not hurting each other, and, and we're finding life in that community. We're finding life-giving relationships rather than life-draining relationships. And, and, and I want that. I, I want that type of community. Bill Hybels, years ago, I heard him speaking, and he, he gave a definition of community that just stuck with me ever since. He says, community is knowing and being known, loving and being loved, Serving and being served, celebrating and being celebrated. And when I heard that, I was like, yeah, yeah, I I want that. What he just described, I want that. I think all of us probably do. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, we're going to be looking there today. Uh, In the book of Acts, we we get a a look at the early church. In its earliest form, Luke sort of gives this little snapshot in chapter 2 of Acts that shows us the early church and how it functioned. And just to give you a little, you know, background context, you know, Jesus has, uh, has left heaven. He's come to earth. He's wrapped himself in humanity. He's lived 33 years of sinless perfection. He's died on the cross, went into the grave, rose from the grave, defeated death and sin. And now he's walking among uh, people for 40 days on earth after his resurrection and he's talking to his disciples, and, he, and he's telling his disciples, hey, now listen, guys, listen, you know, this is big, this is big. He said, I want you to wait, I want you to wait, because I'm, you know, I've been walking with you, but now I'm, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, so I'll be walking in you, <laughs> and I'll be living in you. And so, guys, I want you to wait on the Holy Spirit, because this is big, this is a big event. And then that historic event happened in Acts chapter 2, when all of a sudden the Holy Spirit came and filled the believers at that time. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And that, that, that changed everything. And now shortly after that passage, Luke gives us a glimpse of the early church. And so I want, I want, to, I want to show you this and, and, and read this to you. And just listen to what, what it looked like. It said, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions. This is crazy and gave to each other. Uh, Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of people. And the Lord added to their number daily. And so we read this and we go, wow, this is incredible. That's church. I want that. You know, it was an uncommon community. Now, typically... When we look at this Acts 2 passage, what we do is we look at it and we dissect it based on what the church does. And so we look at it and go, yeah, the church, you know, they fellowship together, they prayed together, they studied the word together, and they reached people together. And, and we look at that, typically that's the framework we, when we use when we look at this passage. But as I was looking at this passage and studying it, I saw something else. I said, wow, not just what the church does, but the outcomes of what happens when the church does what it's supposed to do. 
And so I saw four outcomes that was like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. And so first, I see an uncommon work of God. There's an uncommon work of God that says they were filled with awe. In other words, they were blown away at the work of God among them in the early church. I I want that. (laughs) And then then there's this uncommon joy. It says they were filled with with, with, uh, gladness and sincere hearts. This uncommon joy. I was like, yeah, (laughs) I want that from the early church. And then... It goes on, we see an uncommon generosity, and, and he says they gave to each other, they sold possessions and gave to each other. And if you flip over a couple pages to Acts chapter 4, it literally says no one among them had need because they were serving each other. There was just this uncommon generosity. And then we see that, that there was an uncommon spiritual transformation. It says, and, they, and their number, they were adding to their numbers every day. And I go, wow, that's church. I want that. I want that. Now, listen, listen. Here's the problem. Here's the challenge, okay? Here's the challenge. We don't fully experience the power of church when we don't fully understand the expression of church as God intended. So we're not, we're not going to experience the power of church if we don't understand the expression of church as God intended. And so what happens so many times, we misdefine church. We misdefine it. I want you to imagine for a second that I go downtown Lee Summit and, and, I, and I put up a sign and I say, I'm doing some research. And I want to do a, a word association game, okay? And so people line up. I got about 100 people lined up. And I'm just asking them, hey, I'm going to say a word. You give me the first word that comes back. And, and so I say, all right, church. First person says, building. All right, great. First word, first word that comes to mind, church. Stained glass. All right, that's good. Next person, church. Uh, youth group, church, worship, preaching, uh, building, you know, I mean, all, all these different things. And if, if we line the average person up in Lee Summit and we did that word association game, this is what we would hear. And, and all the words that we would hear are related to a program or a place. But that's, that's not church. I mean, it's part of church. It's an element of church, but there's so much more to it. And you see, if we don't fully understand, if we don't understand the full expression of what church is, then we will not experience the full power of church as God intended it. So we want to understand what church is as God defines it. Now, the word church was first used by Jesus. Matthew 16, 18. Jesus takes his, he's he's in Capernaum and he's, he takes his 12 disciples up north. And they travel to this area that Jews would not go to. There's this giant cave as a hole in this cave, and it goes down into the earth. And in those days, they believed that's where all evil emanated from, came out of the center of the earth, out of that hole in the ground, and and spread across the world. So all evil came from that place. That's what they believed. And they called it, that, that cave, they called it the gates of hell. So here's what, a Jew wouldn't go there, you know? But Jesus goes up with his disciples to the edge of this cave, and he looks at them and he says this. Guys, I want you to understand something. I'm going to build my church, and even the gates of hell cannot stop us. Can't stop us. (laughs) Now let me tell you something. When Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not stop it, he was not talking about putting up a building. 
That word for church was ecclesia. It literally means a gathering of called out people. So Jesus is looking at his 12 disciples and he's saying, guys, you've got to understand. I, you, I, want, I, want you, I want you to understand the full expression of church because if you do not understand it, you will not, you will not experience the power of church. So guys, I want you to understand that we, I'm putting together a gathering of people who love me, believe in me, living on mission, and we are going to go do things that are going to transform this world and even hell cannot stop us. And they knew he was dead serious because he was standing on the lip of the gates of hell when he said it. Guys, church is so much bigger. We we cannot confine church to an 11 o'clock hour. We cannot confine church to to a building. It's it's so much bigger than than a program or a place. It's about people. I was training. I was training a group of church planters one time. There were five of them. We were sitting in the room. And uh, they were telling me their strategies and that sort of stuff. And, you know, it's a lot of work to start a church. It takes about 12 months to do all the preparation, planning to, to, to get something started. And so I'm listening to them, and they're telling me about the buildings they're going to rent and the equipment they're going to buy. And they're, gonna, they're telling me about the, you know, the, how many people they need as ushers and tell me about their worship and what they were planning for the worship, what time the service was going to, all that sort of stuff. And all that's good, all that's necessary. But I was really getting frustrated as I listened to them because I thought, I think they're missing something here. I said, all right, time out, time out, guys. Let's stop. Let's stop for a minute. Let's stop the strategizing just for a minute. I tore off a a giant piece of Post-it and I put it on the wall and I took a marker and I wrote at the top of the Post-it, church is. I said, guys, just throw out some components of the definition of church. And so they took a few minutes and they were saying, well, church is family and, and, and church is a, a body of believers. It's a gathering of people that are committed to living on mission and, and you know, the people love each other and, you know, driven by the mission of Christ, all these different things. And I was writing them all down, you know, these people that are gathering and strengthening each other spiritually and discipling each other. I'm writing all this down. And then I said, okay, now stop and look at this list. Is that what you're building? Or are you building a weekend service? Are you just building a week, a, a week, 52 events a year? Or are you building this? Are you building a group of people that will be mobilized to literally transform a community and transform the world? Because you see, that's church. But, you've, it, but if we don't fully experience, we, if we don't fully understand the expression of church as God intended, we will never experience the full power of what God wants us to experience through the church. So as I look at this passage, I go, wow, that's church. I want that. And I go back and I look at at Acts 2.42 to uh, 46. He says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple course. They broke bread at homes, ate together, glad, sincere hearts. Now, when I, when I read all of this, you know, I go, okay, I told you earlier, you know, they're experiencing an uncommon work of God, an uncommon joy, an uncommon uh, transformation of, of, of lives, an uncommon generosity. But why were they experiencing that? Because they were gathering. They were devoted to gathering. They were devoted to getting together. They were characterized by that. You see what they were doing? They were integrating their life into work, family, and and church, and they were integrating their lives with each other. And it's that integration that allowed them to experience the power of God in and around them. And so often we just say, yeah, this is my church life over here. And, And for some, it's just, here's my church hour, you know? And we don't integrate it. Therefore, we don't experience the power of God. 
I experienced this back in 1992. I was an associate pastor in Polly's Island, South Carolina. And our pastor did a, a sermon series called The 40-Day Adventure. In 40-Day Adventure, he was preaching a certain set of sermons, and small groups were studying the same material. And they had us do a spiritual discipline, and they called it God sightings. So they gave us a journal, had 40 blanks in it, for each day. And every day they said, every day we want you to identify a God sighting. Where, somewhere where you see God at work in your life today. Just write it down every day. Or somewhere where you hear God speak to you that day. Just write it down. Now that was really fun. It was transformative for us, you know. But what was really good, what was so powerful, is not just writing them down, but getting together in small groups in the middle of the week. And every time we met, the first question our small group leader would ask is, hey, guys, what were some of your God sightings this week? And people would begin to share, I saw God show up at work this week. Oh, my gosh, God showed up in our family this week. God helped me with this, with with my child. And and God gave me the words to say in this situation. And I heard God say this, and it just changed my thought and perspective on something. And we just begin to share that all of a sudden our, our faith was integrated with every aspect of our life, and our faith was integrated with each other. And it was in that season it disciplined and tutored our people to tune their ear to the voice of God and tune their eye to the work of God. And we began to see uncommon things happen because we were living in an integrated community with each other. Now, also see in this passage a deep sense of anticipation. Did, did you see this? In verse 42, it says, and they were filled with awe. I mean, God was doing some cool things. God was doing some amazing things. But how was that happening? We look back at verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to prayer. So they, they were praying on a regular basis together, and God was showing up and doing incredible things. Can I ask you a question? How often are you filled with awe because you see the power of God in your life? How often? You know, for, 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 for so many people, it's an uncommon thing to see the uncommon power of God in their life. And I don't know about you, but I want the uncommon power of God to be a common thing in my life. I want to see God doing things that blows my mind. I want to live my life walking in awe. I know it doesn't happen every day. But am I characterized throughout my year, throughout my month, by being in awe because God just did this? God just showed up. God just did something. Let me ask you another question. Think about this. What do you believe about prayer? What do you believe about prayer? Just think about it. The answer really, what you're thinking in your mind really doesn't matter. What matters is how you pray. Because how I pray and what I pray for shows me what I believe about prayer. Yeah, I might say, oh, man, I believe in prayer. I believe God can change things. I believe God can do the impossible. I believe. Are you praying for that? Or are we just praying regular, just common prayers? 
How many of you grew up uh, going to uh, Wednesday night prayer meetings? Anybody besides me? Yeah, a few, a few, not many, a few of us. This must be younger crowd. <laughs> and so Wednesday night prayer meeting, I grew up in West Virginia. The hills of West Virginia had prayer meeting every Wednesday night. You show up Wednesday nights and uh, there's a little bit of music, a little bit of preaching. And then it was about 15 minutes of prayer request. And the pastor would stand up front. And he'd write down everybody's prayer request. Hey, pray for Martha's knee and, you know, pray for so-and-so. And all those things are important. I'm not downplaying that. But make a list. And then after, after you know, 10, 15, 20 people shared prayer requests, then we prayed for it. What well, it made no sense to me as a kid. I was like, didn't God hear it the first time? Why do we have to rehash all of this? It didn't make no sense to me. And, 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 but, but, but we would pray through those things. Now, a buddy of mine gave me something recently, and it's called the generic prayer, prayer request generator. Generic prayer request generator. I love this thing because it describes what most people believe about prayer. Check this thing out. We needed this on Wednesday night in our little church. All right, you just fill in the blanks right here, okay? It says, my obscure relative, all right? So it gives you a list you can choose from. I'm going to choose my, uh, uh, my great aunt. All right, my obscure relative uh, acquaintance, all right? So another, it gives you a list again. So I'm going to say a junior high soccer coach. So my great aunt's junior high soccer coach. Now, here it gets a little more tricky because you got to choose, you got options, all right? Her vehicle, pet, or body part. you got to fill in one of those, okay? <laughs> so I'm going to do body part. I'm going to do big toe. Uh, is, and now you got to choose an adjective. And there's a bunch of them there. I mean, you can only imagine. And so I, I'm going to pick broken because that makes sense, all right? So then it gives you a few more fill in the blanks. So my, my great aunt's junior high soccer coaches. Big toe is broken. Just pray that God would just really. Now, this one's tricky because this is the hardest one. Heal, deliver, help, release, uh, shine a light upon, or put a hedge of protection around. All right, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to, okay, I got it. I'm going to say uh, 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 my prayer request is my uh, great aunt's junior high soccer coach, big toe, is broken. Just pray that God would just really put a hedge of protection around it. All right? <laughs> And so, man, it, it, I know it's funny, but doesn't it describe what we, how we pray and what we believe about prayer? Now, listen, here's, here's the challenge. It's, it's our, our culture has trained, our church culture has trained us to pray this way. When's the last time you prayed a dangerous prayer? You see, our church culture teaches us to pray this way. But, but in Scripture, you look at Scripture, Isaiah prayed, send me. David prayed, search me. Jesus prayed, not my will, not my will, your will be done. Paul prayed, Paul prayed for the Colossians and he said, I pray. This is a dangerous prayer. If you think about it, he says, I pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of God, a depth of knowledge of God, because that'll wreck your life. <laughs> and then he said to the Ephesians, I pray that you would know the, the breadth, the depth Just the expansion of of God's love. That's what he prayed for them. That is a dangerous prayer. I mean, you can imagine some of them go, don't pray that for me, Paul. Don't pray pray that I would know the love, that depth of the love of God. Don't pray that for me. Because if I know the depth and the breadth and width of God's love, that's going to change me. It's going to change how I interact with people. God, oh, don't you pray that for me. That's a dangerous prayer. Are we praying dangerous prayers? You see, because here, here's, what I'm, here's what I'm going to tell you. When you begin to pray uncommon prayers, you will begin to see God work in uncommon ways. 
And perhaps we're not seeing God work in uncommon ways because we're not praying uncommon prayers. Our culture, as I said, our culture has, has sort of shaped the way we think about this. And so instead of, what do we do? We pray for comfort. And that's okay. Yes, my knee hurts. Oh, I don't want it to hurt. I'm going to pray that it'll stop hurting. But, but we pray so much for comfort and not for challenge. When's the last time you prayed, God, pull me out of my comfort zone. God, conform me to your image. God, challenge me and change me. Those are some dangerous prayers. We've got to begin to pray dangerous prayers so that we can see God do uncommon things. I, I, I write my goals every year. <clears throat> I put them in Evernote, make a list of them so I can look at them regularly. And a couple years ago, I put my, put my goals together. And I was looking at them, and I was trying to pray through them. And all of a sudden, I started laughing. Because sort of God, God sort of spoke into my spirit and went, go ahead, Mac, have at it. You don't need me for those. <laughs> you can do those on your own. Yeah, Mac, just yeah, have at those goals. You can do that. I believe in you. <laughs> But if you really want to see something, Mac, I want you to rethink those goals. And um, I want you to at least set a few things that you cannot do on your own. That they will not happen unless I show up. Because you see, if I'm constantly setting goals I can achieve, then I don't get to experience the power of God in my life. I want to live by experiencing the uncommon power of God in my life. And that means i got to pray some dangerous prayers. And, and listen, I can't pray dangerous prayers on my own. This is why the early church, they prayed together. They met together. They prayed together on a regular basis. Because listen, if I'm believing God for big things, I, I don't know about you, but for me, I get discouraged real fast. I want to give up real fast. I lose faith real fast. And so if I got people around me and we're praying dangerous prayers together, they keep my faith strong. That's why, you know, it, it, with my team. On occasion, I'll look at them and say, hey, guys, what are we trusting God for right now that we can't do? Do that at work. Do it at home. Begin to pray some dangerous prayers with people, not just on your own. The, the third thing I see as I look at Acts chapter 2 in the early church is a, is a deep sense of connection. I, I, I want to go past Acts chapter 2. And I want to fast forward 30 or 40 years. Now, the church has expanded beyond Jerusalem, and it's gone all across the known world. The Apostle Paul is one who's helped plant churches all over uh, the known world. And now here it is 30, 40 years later, and Paul is writing letters to these churches, trying to encourage them and keep them moving, keep these believers moving forward. Now, <laughs> if you think about this, all right, we got, his, we got his letters in the New Testament, and if we were to scan through his letters... You know what we would hear? We would hear Paul saying, hey, guys, would you stop backbiting? Would you, would you stop criticizing each other? Hey, church, would you, would you stop hurting each other? Would you stop bashing each other? Hey, church, church, would you stop being so negative? Would you stop being so critical? Can, can you just get along? I mean, this is what we hear him saying in the, in the New Testament letters. This is what Paul's writing. And I want to tell you something. That is church. I don't want that. <laughs> I don't think you do either. But that's church. That's, that's church sometimes. The truth is sometimes community, is, sometimes community can get ugly. Sometimes community can be painful. Sometimes it can be hurtful. Sometimes it can be disappointing. But here's what I want you to understand. Community is always imperfect. 
Community is always imperfect. We're not going to find a perfect group of people. We're not going to find a perfect church. But it's living, in, it's living in that imperfection that teaches me how to love with the perfect love of God. I cannot learn to love with the love, grace, and compassion of God outside an imperfect community. Does that make sense? And so it's, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. But here's the truth. It's, the context of in, it's in the context of imperfection that he's perfecting us. It is in the context of imperfection that he is perfecting us. And I don't like that. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. And so as I interact with people that I don't like, or I interact with people that hurt me, or I interact with people that disappoint me, then it's an opportunity for me to love and live like Jesus in the context of that imperfection. And that takes maturity It takes dependence on God, and it takes courage. When uh, when our kids were were in elementary school, you know, know, kids fight. Our kids fought, man. And I I remember there were times like Brianna, our baby, she'd come running in the room and say, Daddy, Daddy, Jordan did this to me. And, 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 And Jordan would come running behind her. I did not. She did this to me. And, you know, they were fussing at each other. Oh, okay, wait, good, come here, come here. And so I'd gather them together and say, tell me what's going on. And they'd start telling me what's going on. And I'd say, okay, all right, Brianna. You're mad at Jordan, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to, I'd stand one here and one right here. I'd say, all right, now, uh, uh, Bree, I want you to tell Jordan why you're upset with him. And she'd look at him, and she'd say, Jordan, you did this to me, and I'm so mad at you. And Daddy, he'd have to, I'm, no, 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 don't tell me. Don't tell me. You see, you don't have a problem with me. You and I are fine. You, you got a problem with him. You need to work it out with him. You see, I want you to understand that when you got a problem with somebody, you don't go running to somebody else. You talk to the person you got a problem with. So I want you to talk to Jordan, and you two try to resolve this. So she'd start to tell Jordan why she was upset and all this sort of thing. And then Jordan would go, well, Brianna, let me tell you what you did to me. And Daddy, no, Jordan, Jordan, no, listen, she's trying to work it out with you. You need to talk to her. And so they would go back and forth, and I would coach them with some questions. And and the next thing you know, they they would go, sorry. And and he'd go, sorry. And I would just smile. And I'd go, no, 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 no. You're not done yet. You're not done yet. That wasn't, yeah, you said the words, but that wasn't real. That's not, you see, what, what I taught him is conflict needs to end in an embrace. And if you can't embrace somebody, if you can't hug it out, you haven't worked it out. And so I'd ask a few more questions. I'd get them talking. And then you'd literally see it. You would literally see it happen in their soul and their spirit. All of a sudden, one of them would go, I'm sorry. And the other would go, I'm, I'm sorry too. And they would hug each other. Yes. <laughs> and here's the principle I would teach them. When conflict is handled biblically, it leads to intimacy. When conflict is handled biblically, it can lead to intimacy. And there's so many people, you're, you're, you're struggling in your marriage. You don't have intimacy in your marriage. Because you've been fussing and nitpicking and arguing. And, 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 and yeah, you say, hey, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But you're just really suppressing it. You're not really working it out. 
and that just that callus grows it just continues to grow and grow and grow and, and, and it's time to just say hey let's, let's get real with each other and this is going to hurt it's not going to be fun <laughs> you know but let's talk it out and let's, let's get back to real authentic relationships some of you need to do that in your friendships but we, we got to have that type of, of, of connection and it only happens when we handle conflict biblically Guys, we live in a sinful world. Sin, sin's going to happen. We're, we're going to hurt each other at times. Community is imperfect, but it's in, the, it's in that context of imperfect community that I can experience forgiving somebody. But I can also experience being forgiven, and I need that. It's in the context of imperfect community that, that, that I can demonstrate patience with somebody. But they can demonstrate patience with me. And I need that. It's, it's in the context of imperfect community that, that I can express grace and compassion to people. And they can express grace and compassion to me. And there are times God knows I need that. And that's church. That's church. And some of you, are, are, you may be living with a frustrated faith. And you go, Mac, I hear you talking about the early church, and I, I hear about this uncommon work of God, and I hear about this uncommon joy, I hear about uncommon generosity, and I, I, I hear about the uncommon tr- transformation in lives of others, and I want that, I want that. But that's not what I'm experiencing. Maybe you've been hurt by people, disappointed by people understand it's imperfect community that we live in and that's church but it's in that imperfect community that God is shaping us to be like him and live like him and so step back into community you know for, for some of you you, all, you already are you, you found it in your small group and you're loving it reach out and pull somebody else in or maybe some of you in this room it's like hey gosh I I want to be a part of what Jesus said. Maybe that, you know, hey, I will build my church and the gates of hell may have just grabbed your soul. Do you want to be a a leader on his team? (laughs) Come talk to Ryan and say, I'm I'm ready to lead small group. Small group's not a program, okay? Small group's not a program in the church. It's, It's a mobilization of believers to live on mission together and grow together. It's people, not a program. And maybe you need to lead that. And others of you, you know, you may be, you may be this, you may be for years now, you may be here because a friend invited you, and for, for a while now you've been looking on the outside in, going, I see church, I, I see those people at, at Journey Church International, I see them, and, and I see what they're doing, and I see a vibrancy, and I see a life, and I see an energy. I, I want that. I want that. Can I tell you how to start that? It's simply by just by, by going before God. The sincerity of your heart saying, God, I, I recognize that I, I'm a sinner and my life has offended you, but God, I recognize that Jesus died for my sins and so I want to surrender my life to you today, God. I want to start over. I want to start new. And then no program, no building, but the people of this church will come alongside you and they're going to they're walk with you and show you how this could be the best day ever of your life 
to show you how to grow in your faith so you can experience an uncommon work of God, an uncommon generosity, an uncommon move, an uncommon joy, an uncommon transformation. And that's church, guys. That's church. We all want that. Let's go be that. Let's pray.